take your Bible, please, and go again to the book of Ephesians, and tonight we'll start in chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5. It has been a beautiful day, and uh, you guys have been super blessed this week with all the food, haven't you? And uh, good meals every night, and uh, God bless you for joining us every service. We've had great time with your teenagers afterwards, and I know some of you have uh, stuck around um, for that because you've been waiting on your kids and it's been a good investment of your time. And God bless you so much for being here tonight. It's a good, good, good Thursday night crowd. Can you believe it's almost Friday night? This week's flying away. And uh, this week is just moving right, right along. Pastor, did you do that? Uh, I thought maybe you lost your false teeth there for a moment. <laughs> I knew it wasn't your toupee. And... Uh, <laughs> Wow, are we off to a good start or what? Wow, goodness. Glad he already took the offering, you know what I mean? Um, we, we just, we've had a, a great week, and tomorrow night we'll be here and gone. And I just really am, am hoping you'll pray about tomorrow night, be in your place, bring somebody with you. I think it'd be really exciting if we could have at least one service where we saw three or four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, or ten get saved. And I hope you'll bring somebody like that. And I pray fervently and earnestly that God will work tomorrow night, bring folks from other churches, and let's just really close out our meeting with a very special, special time together. But uh, you folks have been so faithful. It's been just a great crowd every night, and I'm so very thankful for that. Have I told you guys about my family? I have a wonderful wife who cannot be here, and five children, and uh, I miss them, and I'm sorry they're not here. I would be delighted to introduce to you my best friend and my favorite person in all the world, and hopefully someday I'll be able to do just that. She's enjoying so much being able to be home, though, with our family, and I'm sure thankful that she can do that while I'm here. And I know she's praying for us. My heart's a little bit there, but hers is also here. And she's not met you all, but she has prayed for you this week. And so let's just, uh, let's, let's pause before I read my text tonight. I think we ought to pray. And several things we ought to pray about. One is Micah's preaching to our boys and girls. Let's not take that for granted. Samuel was just a lad when he heard the voice of God. You remember that story? And it changed his life. And God is often in the business of calling boys and girls to himself. Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. We make no apology that we try to see young people saved. And I hope you're for that. I hope you are. Best time in the world to come to Christ is in your youth. Solomon even wrote and said, Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. And so Micah's over there. We ought to stop and pray for him. And then we ought to pray for this service. So the Lord will just really help us tonight and just really speak to us. How many of you have a, a special burden in your heart tonight? that uh, just you'd, you'd be willing to pray about it. You'd love for the Lord to answer. Anybody here like that? A special need in your life? Many of us do. Let's just pause together for a moment. I know sometimes you just listen to somebody pray. I'll just pause for a moment to give you a moment to pray, and then I'll pray, and then I'll read my text and preach to you, and our time will be done, all right? So just close your heart and eyes and bow your heart before the Lord there and uh, take some things. Pray for Micah. Pray for our service here. The Lord will help me. I pray that we'll have a great service tomorrow night. Souls will be saved. Pray for that special burden in your heart. And then I'll pray. Now, Father, it is in the name of Jesus that I come to you tonight. And I pray for Micah, Brother Micah, as he preaches to our children. Father, I pray you'll speak to boys and girls. There may be some there in the service who need to be saved. You open their eyes, dear Lord, to the gospel truths tonight. Draw them to yourself and help them to be saved, to be born again this night. Many of our kids are already saved. It would be a delight, Lord, if they'd give their life to you. As a result of our revival meeting this week, maybe a young man would become an amazing father and husband in the years to come, and a young lady and have a godly Christian family, and maybe even be used of you in a ministry sense. Do some mighty works in that service. And then bless in this one, would you, Lord? Help me to preach tonight. Make this a great service. Many have worked long hours today. It's been a busy week. A lot of things extra in this week out of our normal routine. But really meet with us tonight. Lord Jesus, 
uh, answer the prayer that I've asked you throughout the day. You, you come in our midst tonight with your reviving presence and stir our hearts and our homes and help us to just really, really experience a genuine reviving this night. Father, maybe one or two or three need to be saved tonight. Dear Holy Spirit, draw them to our Savior. Help them to see how much you love them, and may they trust the Lord Jesus tonight and be saved in this revival service, I pray. And I ask these things in the name of Jesus and for his sake, amen. Well, now I'm going to preach to you tonight from Ephesians 5. Do you remember Ephesians 4? That was Tuesday night. I know you've slept a couple of times since then, but you remember that, don't you? I talked to you Tuesday night about being a successful Christian, a happy Christian. And having a successful family, a happy family, a happy home. I wonder tonight, just out of curiosity, how many of you are married? Can I see your hand? How many married folks we have in the room? All right. How many of you? I guess this would be everybody else. How many of you are not married? Let me see your hand. All right. Now, how many of you that are not married think you may be someday in the future? Let me see your hand. Anybody like that? All right. I thought there'd be a few on this side for sure. And uh, some of you a little shaky over there, but you'll, you'll probably make it. And uh, I, I think it's wonderful to be married. I hope you aspire to be, look forward to it. Not everybody gets married. You know that, don't you? Sometimes it's God's will for a person to be single. There's nothing wrong with that. God teaches in His Word, singleness can provide an opportunity, a freedom to serve the Lord in a way that a married person cannot. God honors that. That's God's will for some people. And so maybe, maybe that's God's will for you. Uh, how many of you have children? Can I see your hand tonight? Raise your hand if you have children. Wow, that's a lot of, lot of kids. Look at that. How many of you have grandchildren? Can I see your hand? Now, be honest, you're in church. How many of you like your grandchildren better than your children? <laughs> wow, I'm surprised. So many. I thought maybe a few, but that's like everybody. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, no doubt. No doubt about it. Goodness, goodness. You know, a happy family is an amazing thing, isn't it? A happy family, a godly family. You're aware, aren't you, that one of the great failures of our generation is a family failure. Are you aware of that? I said it was, I guess, Tuesday night, I think, that probably our most endangered species in our country is the Christian home. Because there just aren't many left. Not a lot of happy homes today. Not even in our churches. Almost all the counseling I do are with and for people who are in churches like yours. And most of the counseling I do has some connection to an unhappy family. What we might call a messed up family. There's nothing quite more blessed than a happy home. And perhaps nothing quite as traumatic as an unhappy one. I grew up in a little town called Wartburg, Tennessee. It's in East Tennessee in the mountains. Wartburg, a friend of mine said, was a poke and plum town. Do you know that term? He said it's where you poke your head around the corner and you are plum out of town. And so Wartburg is about the size of your parking lot. There's not much there. But there's a community there and I grew up there. And because it was a small town, we knew everybody. We knew everything on everybody. What we didn't know, we just made up. It's the benefit of a small town. There was a guy in our town, my dad grew up with him. He'd been married four times, married and divorced three times. Now he's into his fourth when he was a drunk. He'd get married and he had this problem of getting drunk and beating people up and especially his spouse and all of his wives divorced him. After his third wife left him, I, I just elaborate, I remember the story. After his third wife left him, I can still see his house in my mind. We had to pass it on our way to town and and, and after his third wife left him, he quit drinking, straightened up his life for a while, tried to be a better man, met a fourth woman, married her, did okay for a couple of years and started drinking again. And came home one night, drunk, jumped on his wife. He is going to whip her, going to beat her up. But apparently she had heard about the other three wives. When he jumped on her, she just kind of reached under the couch and pulled out a baseball bat. And I'm not even making this up. She about killed him. She took that bat and she whipped him up one side and down the other. I mean, she bruised him. She beat him. She whipped him severely. Somebody said he wanted to leave her and she wouldn't let him. She said, you leave me, I'll kill you. And as far as I know, that man quit drinking and never drank another drop in his life. I don't know that I'm preaching tonight that some of you ought to buy a baseball bat. 
I, I wouldn't be preaching that at all. But isn't it, isn't it true that even though that's a funny story, that's a really sad one, isn't it? One of my goals in my ministry, in my life, is to have a happy home, a godly home. It's a ton of work. You know that, don't you? Goodness, it's a ton of work. Kids, teenagers, one of my challenges to you tonight, you're not married. You don't have a family. I don't know what kind of family you come from. You may come from a very good family, and if you do, you ought to walk down an aisle tonight and get on your knees and thank God for it. That's a rarity. But if your family is the most messed up family represented in this building tonight, I will tell you something. There's a God in heaven that loves you, cares about you. He cares about your future. You know what he wants? He wants to bless your future. You may have a lousy dad, but by God's grace and God's help, give yourself to Jesus Christ tonight. And if God gives you a wife and children someday, be the greatest husband and father this world has ever seen by the grace of God. You can do it by God's help. Ladies, you may have a mom that you're not even sure things are well between you and mom, but by God's grace and God's help, that can be different in your future. God's interested in your family, your home. And I know there's all kinds of situations when they talk about a family, isn't there? Some of you are divorced. Some of you remarried. Some of you have divided families. You got stepchildren, stepmom, stepdad, stepson, stepdaughter. There's all kinds of situations a day, isn't there? But God knows your situation and is interested in your home. He is. He knows every one of our situations. Some of you, some of you are the traditional nuclear family. Daddy works, mom stays home, the kids are raised. You got a really unusual situation in this generation. God's on your side, you know that? But some of you don't even stand a chance at getting there. I mean, there's baggage galore. I mean, baggage. You know about baggage? In a church like ours, wouldn't there be baggage? And yet God cares about your situation and has an answer for your needs. Wants to help your home. He does. Our goal is to have a happy home. We've, we've worked at it. Try to pray with our kids. We try to train them. Beth and I are in love. We go on dates. We're working on our marriage. I just, I, I love being married, and I love being a daddy. I, I love being a daddy. I just love it. Abby's my 20-year-old. Can you believe, can you believe I have a 20-year-old as young as I am? I can't believe she's 20. I've been thinking about this lately. 15 years from now, she'll be old enough to get married. And uh, I, I'm praying about that earnestly, fervently. I'm concerned about my family. Abby, she's a little girl, taught her how to pray, and I'd lead her in prayer. I'd say, dear God, and she'd repeat. Every night we'd pray together. Abby and I'd pray together. One night I crawled in the bed beside of Abby, and I laid on the bed beside her, and we read some verses, worked on some memory verses, and I said, Abby, would you like to pray by yourself tonight? She sat up. I mean, sat right up and said, of course. I said, go ahead. First prayer she ever prayed on her own. Here's what she said. She said, dear God, Help me to be a good girl. My heart, I said, amen. Josh was her little brother. She said, dear God, help Joshy to be a good boy. I'm thinking, this girl can pray. And I'll never forget this. She got real serious, almost used one of those emotional voices. And she said, oh, dear Jesus, please save my daddy. <laughs> oh, well. Bring it on. I'm an evangelist, been saved for years, but I'm glad she knows it. You know something? I don't know what's going on in your home tonight or your life or your family, but I want to challenge you in the next 30 minutes or so about having a revival in your home, having a revival in your family. God knows right where you are tonight. He knows right, right where he knows your situation, and he cares, and he wants to work in your home. Would you let him? Ephesians 5 is the place to start. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love. As Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Now stop right there, and I'll make a comment that I'll come back to at the end of my message. This passage reminds us that Jesus Christ loved us. Do you all know that Jesus loves you tonight? He died for you on a cross. He was buried. He was raised from the dead. He gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God. Because of what Jesus Christ did for us, 
I'm on my way to heaven. Not because I'm a preacher, not because I'm a Baptist, not because I got baptized, but because there was a day in my life that I met Jesus Christ. I trusted in Him. I relied on the fact that He had died for my sins. He was buried. He was raised from the dead. I trusted the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to take away my sins, come into my life, give me everlasting life, and make me a part of God's family. And He did it. And He wants to do that for you tonight. You will not go to heaven because you have a happy home. You've got to be born again to go to heaven. You don't go to heaven because you're a good husband, a good wife, or a good mom, or a good dad, or good son, or good daughter. You've got to be born again. You've got to become a Christian. And that only happens when you as a sinner come to Jesus Christ, and you're born again through Jesus Christ. Have you been saved the Bible way? Have you been to Jesus? Have you been born again? Do you know that for sure in your life that you're a child of God on your way to heaven the Bible way? Right there's a good verse to remind us of it that Christ loved us and gave himself for us and he made a way for us to be saved. Notice the command of verse 2 is we're to walk in love. So as we start this, this, par- this, uh, this chapter, Paul says, look, here's, I got a plan for you. Remember chapter 4? When we were in chapter 4, Tuesday night, God said, I called you, and remember I told you, God called you to live for Him and to serve Him, and one of His callings in your life is that you be a happy, successful Christian and have a happy, successful home. He's just continuing that idea here, in cha- this, this idea in chapter 5. Let's review just briefly. Remember chapter 4? How, how can I be a successful, happy Christian and have a successful, happy home? Remember, I have to walk in humility gentleness and patience I have to be a Christian of love and peace my home has to have love and peace I have to be honest remember that one I have to deal with anger issues that'll kill me as a Christian damage my family my marriage my home I ought to be edifying instead of tearing down with my tongue my language my speech I ought to be kind how how many of y'all remember those verses you remember those verses in chapter 5, he gives us, chapter 5 and chapter 6, he gives us four more I want to show you tonight. There's more than four, but I only have time for four. Look in verse 3. Here's, here's another instruction from the, the church, the letter to the church to Ephesus. Here it is, verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. You know what he says right here? You want to be a happy Christian and have a happy Christian home? Uh, you've got to guard your purity. You've got to guard your purity. You've got to be careful about purity matters. Here's how he says it in verse 3. He says, fornication, you know that word, don't you? Sexual sin, forgive my little bit of frankness here, sexual sin, adultery, pornography, immorality, all that has no part in a Christian life, in a Christian home. It ought not to be there. No, no, no. It ought not to be a part of your life. No adultery, no garbage, no pornography, none of it. In fact, in fact, just in case he left something out with the word fornication, he adds all uncleanness, all the dirt and garbage of the world ought not to be a part of my life. How many of you are saved tonight? You're Christians on your way to heaven. Raise your hand good and high. Let me see it. This is, a, this is an instruction for me. Teenagers, if you're a Christian, this is your verse. It, it, it's to you. It's to me. It's to mom and dad and grandfather and grandmother. No garbage in my life at all. I'm to pursue purity in my own life and in my family. That's important in our generation. Purity is important. God's plan is summed up in a phrase in verse 3. Look carefully now at the phrase. It's the last half of the verse. Here's what he says, let it, you ready for this, not be once named among you. God's plan for my purity is this, not one time. Now chew on that just a moment. That's God's plan, not one time. God's plan for my life is that not one time would there be garbage in my life. You and I live in a generation where nobody is pure by accident. Did I say that right? You're not pure by accident in this generation. You're either going to pursue purity and put up guards and protect your life and your home, or there will be garbage in your life and garbage in your home. I'm telling you, there's no way around it in this generation. How many of you at your house have a television? Can I see your hand? Nobody ever does. Just raise it good and high. Nobody ever. You have a television at home? How many of you are aware of the fact that garbage is available? 
Turn it on. Turn it on. Just turn it on. I, in, in our family conference several years ago, I did a family conference, and I challenged a crowd of people. I, I don't do this often, but I challenged this crowd of people, and I said to them, I said, hey, let's uh, We were talking about purity and all this, and I said, I'll give you a challenge. You, you know what you want to with it, but I challenge you. Try this. Just, just try it. I said, for the next 31 days, take one month. For the next 31 days, anytime you turn on the television and you see something that would be garbage, displeasing to God, filthy language, turn it off for 24 hours. Every time you turn it on, you see garbage or hear garbage. There's adultery. There's nudity. There's implied sexuality. Turn it off for 20, 24 hours. I don't know who took me up on that offer. I know one did. A family in Milton, Florida, who goes to West Florida Baptist Church, took us up on that offer. And you know what they told me? They said, we decided we'll try it for 31 days. And you know what happened, Brother Young? We did not watch television for those 31 days. Because every time we turned it on, one of the kids would say, oh, no. Turn it off. 24 hours. Every time. In fact, he said, Brother Young, at the end of those 31 days, we decided in order to help our family be more of a Christian family, we had just unplug it and not turn it on ever again. And he said, we're a happier and godlier family because we did. Our generation, the television can be dangerous. It's not wrong to have a TV. You know that, don't you? The Bible never says, thou shoutest not as having us the televisionist. It's not wrong to have a TV, but it is wrong to put wicked stuff in your face, isn't it? And I'm telling you, moms and dads, I'm counseling a young man. I, I think I'm done now by his, by his decision. But I've counseled a young man this year who's 14 years old, and he struggles with homosexuality. He has for 10 years. He's 14. You know how he got exposed to it when he was four? in his living room, in a fundamental independent Baptist church family that had satellite TV. And one day in the living room by himself, playing with a remote, you know, control, switching through channels. They were supposed to be blocked, I guess, I would assume. But he came across a channel that had absolute filth on it. He was curious. He didn't know what it was. He's four. But he went back to it out of curiosity over and over. Now he's seven and he's still doing it. Nobody knows. Now he's nine. When he came to me, he's 14. Now he's got a major battle. He didn't do that to himself. He's responsible now. He's got to renew his mind. Got to go to work. Got to get counsel. Got to get help. Or his life will be a shambles forever. Moms and dad, I say to you, his parents failed him. You will not have purity in your home unless you do it on purpose. You won't have it in your life unless you do it on purpose. You won't. How many of you have a cell phone, do you? You have one? I have a smartphone. I have an iPhone. I like, I like Apple and I have an iPhone. My iPhone, I had my wife go on this phone and block Safari. YouTube, the only way I can get on the internet on this phone is to go through an app we downloaded called Covenant Eye. We pay for it for our whole family. It's only $15 a month. It's cheaper than cable and, and, and a lot better for you. So I use the internet. The kids, when I go on the internet on this phone or on my MacBook or on my, my iPad, everything I see, my wife gets a copy of it every three days. So does Brother Sal, who's been preaching to you. He's on my team. He's my partner at evangelism. I send him an email. Covenant Eyes does it automatically. If I look up something and Covenant Eyes thinks it could be something bad, they send an emergency email to my wife that says, immediate review suggested for Dave Young. I'm not addicted to pornography, but I'm telling you, moms and dads and ladies and gentlemen, if you're not on purpose doing something to help your life and your family stay clean in this X-rated society, There'll be garbage in your life and in your home. Are y'all with me tonight? Are we okay?
Do I need to park here longer? Moms and dads, I, I don't, I, kids, don't be offended at me tonight, but I, 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 I'm not giving my kids one of these. There'll come a day, I told my sons, there'll come a day, you'll be old enough, you can buy your own, and, and, and your own, you're on. Uh, but I'm not, get, I'm not taking a chance, because teenagers, you know, you teenagers know how to get around all the guards. You know how to slip around it. You know how to, you know how to find what you want to see. You know, and your generation knows. So I'm not taking a chance. Not doing it. I'm just not going to do it. I wouldn't buy my son an iPad. I bought him a computer because I can control the whole computer with our so software, but I can't the iPad. So I, uh, I wouldn't buy him one. Now, my kids have phones. They have flip phones, those dumb ones, you know. And uh, they don't have a smartphone. They got a dumb one. And, uh, and I, I, I like it. I, I'm, I'm okay with that. It takes them a little longer to text. And I like it. My kids text me every day. I, I text them a verse every morning when I'm traveling. And, and uh, we text back and forth. It's not wrong. Moms and dads, if your children have one of these and there's no filter on it, if your children have one of these with unlimited access, no filter, no accountability, statistics say that 93% of the teens who have it are regularly viewing pornography. 93%. Teenagers, you know it's true, don't you? You know it. You got friends addicted and they're not even out of their teen years yet. They see it every day. They have to. God has a better plan, church. Not one time. That'll be your goal for your home. Daddy, your goal ought to be to protect your son. That not one time would he see garbage. Not one time. Not one time. That the enemy's plan is different, isn't it? God's plan for my life about purity is not one time. The enemy's plan is one time won't hurt. Isn't that right? And it's just, it just, people say, we, we're careful about television, but we do watch stuff. We will, we will, we'll watch stuff. And sometimes I'll say to people, do you know a good movie my family could watch? And I, I'm surprised how many times people will say to us, we know here's a good movie. You know, it's a pretty good movie. It only has one or two scenes. Are we violating God's standard here? Ladies and gentlemen, you're going to be a happy, successful Christian and have a happy, successful home. I got to tell you, it's got to start with purity in chapter 5. I'm going to leave that for sake of time. Did I park there long enough or should I just stay there? I mean, we, are we okay? Uh, God help us. We're losing a generation. God help us. Moms and dads, you got to wake up. Moms and dads, you got to you got to check up. You got to have a close relationship. You've got to you you own it. You are responsible. Help your children. Help yourself. Men, if you're battling in an area and it's a struggle in your life, stop being secretive about it. Find somebody to get help. Get help. Nothing surprises me anymore. You can tell me anything. I've heard it. I've counseled it. It's there. You ought to read my emails I get from teenagers all over the country every week battling all kinds of addictions in these matters. Moms and dads, let's be a generation in this church of purity. Here's a second truth I want to show you tonight. A happy Christian, a happy home, a successful Christian family, not only a place of purity, would you look at the last word in chapter 5 and verse 4? What is, what is the last word in chapter 5 and verse 4? You find it, and you tell me out loud. What is it? Thanks. Look now. I'm skipping some verses. Look down at verse 20. Verse 20. Verse 20, chapter 5, verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you agree with this? Purity is essential to a happy Christian life and a happy Christian family. Would you agree with that? Purity. How many of you, would you agree with this? Gratitude, thankfulness is essential to a happy Christian and a happy Christian family. The Bible says in everything, in everything, give thanks. In everything. That's hard to do, isn't it? Thankfulness makes a difference. How many of you are aware of the fact that we're just blessed? I'm just, it's amazing. For crying out loud, teenagers, you're so blessed. You kids have clothes to wear galore, coolest stuff. You got phones, you got some of you got cars. And most of it didn't cost you a dime. You're blessed. But our generation struggles to be thankful. 
Moms and dads, we're just as guilty. We get hard on the teenagers. Oh, my, these teenagers are complaining, griping, and yet we do it too, don't we? Oh, my word, oh, my word, and we just gripe and complain, and, and we're not thankful. Shame on us. Thankfulness is in order. Uh, Micah, Micah, he's always finding stuff and growing and learning, and he, sometimes he watches. It's not Christian, and he watches it to help him work with the generation he's working with. Uh, it's... Um, I guess they're called TED Talks or something like that. He watches these programs. And there's one that he watched and showed me recently. And an unconverted guy, man who's not saved, he's an editor for some leading paper or new magazine or something in our country. He, uh, he did an experiment last year. He did it for a year long. For one solid year, he decided to try to live everything the Bible says to do. He doesn't believe the Bible. He's not a Christian, doesn't even believe in God. But he decided to go through the Bible. He read the Bible four times and wrote down, and what he said was over 700 commands, and he decided, I'm going to live those commands. One of the commands he found in the Old Testament says that we're not to shave the corners of our beard. So for one year, he did not touch his beard. At the end of the year, he was like Santa Claus, except it's a brown beard. Just because he said he was trying to be biblical. Uh, he, he just, he felt okay, he did all kinds. He did all kinds of strange things. He, uh, he, 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 he got rid of his clothing. He bought clothing. Now, he was using Old Testament laws. He bought clothes. He would not wear any clothes that had, you know, a combination of fabrics. Had to be all pure, one kind of fabric. He was trying to be biblical for a year. Now, he missed a lot of things. He did not know what he was doing. But at the end of his talk, it wasn't very long. He, there was a lot of humor he used. Some things he did that were silly but funny. At the end of his talk, he said, you know, there are several lessons I learned. In my year-long, I'm going to live the Bible. He said, one of the commands I found in the Bible was, in everything, give thanks. So he said, I decided for a year, that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to say it hundreds of times. And he said, I did. I just, every morning, if I didn't feel well, thank, thank you, thanks. I'm just thankful for the rest I did have. I'm sure thankful for this food I'm eating. Man, isn't it brutally hot out here? I'm sure thankful for this heat. Isn't it freezing cold? I am so thankful to be cold. He said, honestly, he spent his whole year just thanking, just being thankful. You know what he said? He said, it's amazing. He doesn't even believe in God. He said, it was amazing at the end of the year how happy I was. You know, God's truths work. Thankfulness is vital. Moms and dads, do you let your children gripe and complain? Do you? Do you have a tendency to be like, oh, my word, for crying out loud, my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, these kids are mine? Or are you thankful? Did you see what that guy's driving? He just cut me off. She was so short. I mean, I, I was checking out there, and she just wasn't, wasn't even kind to me. Thankfulness will change your life. Are you all grateful? Are you happy, thankful people? I mean, how, how thankful are you? Are you more apt to gripe and complain and be down and bothered? Or are you happily grateful? How about it, teenagers? Are you thankful? When's the last time you said to your mom and dad, Hey, mom, thank you for the meals you make for us, and I just really appreciate all you do for us. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, daddy, you work hard, and I know you didn't have to buy me this phone or these clothes or provide this house, but I just want you to know I'm grateful. Thank you, daddy. Change your life. When's the last time you said to your spouse, hey, sweetheart, I just want you to know I'm thankful for you. Honey, I'm thankful for you. Look what you do for our family. Look, look at you. I am so grateful that God gave me a wife, a husband like you. Are you a thankful person? Purity, thankfulness. There's two more. Do we have time for it? Can I give you two more? What's a, what's a happy family? What, what's a happy family? A place of purity, a place of thankfulness. Here it is now. A happy family is a place of happy marriages. Happy marriages. Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, in verse 25, you, now you're the head of your wife, so you lead your family. He says uh, to husbands in verse 25, Husbands, you love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. A happy Christian marriage is essential if you're going to be what God wants you to be in your home. One of the greatest gifts you'll give your kids and grandchildren is a happy marriage. A happy marriage. How many of y'all are married again? Can I see your hand? How many of y'all married? Do you have a husband or a wife? Be, be happy. I don't know your circumstance, 
And some of you might preach it like this, a little hard on you because of a situation. I know that. And I'm not here to make something that's difficult more difficult. But I am here, I am here to say, if you're married tonight, you ought, to try to be, you ought to be pursuing a happy marriage, a godly marriage, a Christ-like marriage. Husband, are you in love with your wife? I mean, really, are you in love with Does she know it? Does she know that you are in love with her? Does she know it? No doubt. I mean, do you show it? Does she know it? Do you show it? Do you, do you illustrate? Oh, my goodness. Man, he lo- look at what he does. He loves his wife, doesn't he? Do you show it? I was preaching juniors at the Bill Rice Ranch several years ago. That's a camp in Tennessee. And uh, I was trying to keep the juniors awake. They were tired. They were sleepy. They'd been outside playing all day. It was in the 90s. It was 100% humidity. It was brutal. Now they come in to hear me preach into an air-conditioned auditorium. And they're all like, you know, freezing and getting, you know, sleepy. And I'm trying to keep them awake. I love preaching to juniors because juniors are easy. You know, I got to work hard to keep you all with me. But juniors, I ask juniors a question and they are on. If you get juniors talking to you, know, I I have to kind of get you all to talk to me sometimes and bring it up a couple of times to get you on board with me. You don't do that with juniors. You open the door, they're in. And I was preaching to juniors, and I said, now, juniors, I said, uh, and I was illustrating. I said, think about your mom and dad. I was, I was going somewhere with this illustration. I said, if your dad and mom are married and have a happy marriage, the reason is because your daddy loves your mom and shows her. And so I'm trying to get them awake now. They're sleeping. I said, boys and girls, how could a husband show his wife he loves her? Boy, did I get answers. They were great. One kid said, it was simple, but he was, one kid said, well, he could tell her. <laughs> That'll preach, won't it? Say, honey, I love you. Say it. Say it. One guy said to me, well, I just wasn't raised that way. I said, build yourself a stinking bridge and get over it. One guy said to me, well, my dad never really, really was, my dad wasn't like that. My dad never said, I love you to my mom, at least not that I know of. And I said, now, bud, I don't mean to offend you, but just because your daddy was wrong doesn't give you an excuse to be. One guy said to me, we're just not that way. I'm a German. I said, I don't care if you're a Martian. Husband ought to love his wife. So this kid was right. One little boy, though, I'll never forget it. I got all kinds of... One kid said, well, he could kiss her. And all the juniors died with laughter, you know. Like, that's the funniest thing you'd ever heard. I got all kinds of answers. But there was one little boy that brought down the house. I'm telling you, I lost the crowd. I could hardly preach. He's on the front row. The other kids were just shouting out questions, jumping up and down, waving, pick me, pick me, pick... Not this little boy. When I asked the question, how could a husband show his wife he loves her? This little guy goes... Like, bro, I know the answer to that. Everybody shout out answers, and everybody's starting to die down. I said, hey, bud, uh, how can a husband show his wife he loves her? Now, we were in Tennessee, but he is from Georgia. He's a little, little, you know, drawn out on his vowels. He said, well, he said he could buy her some fried chicken. (laughs) And all kinds of things went through my mind. I thought, now, where in the world did that come from? <laughs> Not one time in my marriage did I ever get in trouble with my wife and think, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go down to Kentucky Fried Chicken and buy a dozen chicken legs. <laughs> and then I confessed this was wrong, but I thought to myself, reckon his mama's a big lady? Because, <laughs> you know, I mean, that would affect you, wouldn't it, if every time you have a marriage, you know, a little spat, you go buy chicken legs? I don't know. That's a silly story, isn't it? But it's a practical. Husbands ought to love their wives. Say, okay, you're right, Brother Young, but how much should I love my wife? God, give me a good illustration so I'll know how much. And God says, all right, here's how you do it. Love your wife as much as Christ loved his church. There's never an excuse not to love my wife. Not by my standard. The standard is so high, I will never have an excuse not to love her. Husbands, do you lead your family? You're the head of the wife, the Bible says, which is a Bible way of saying lead your home. If there's not prayer at your house, sir, I don't mean it to be mean. You're responsible. 
because God holds you accountable. If the television carelessly displays garbage, you're responsible. Husbands are to leave their homes. So how you do it? Wives are to follow their husbands, submit to him, respect him. That's what the Bible says. This is how a happy Christian marriage works. A husband loves his wife. She knows it because he shows it. He leads his home. He's actively engaged in helping his family and his wife to be everything God wants them to be. And a wife is behind her husband, and she's for him, and she's supporting him, and she's following him, and she's reverencing him. You know why you, know why you ladies agreed to marry the man you married? Because he loved you. You thought to yourself, Goodness, I could live the rest of my life with this handsome hunk of man. Nobody's ever loved me. He gets the door for me, writes me love letters, treats me so gently and kindly. Wow, when I give my life to him. You know why he agreed to marry you? Because you reverenced him. You said things like this. You said, honey, you are the man. And he believed you. So that's how God made him. It's the truth. When my wife says to me, honey, you the man, I'm like, well, you know, yes, I am. Because <laughs> that's how God designed us. Isn't that right, guys? When somebody respects you as a man, don't you feel like, oh, yeah, I'm the man. I got two hairs on my chest, but I'm the man. <laughs> don't you feel that way? Sure. That's, how, that's God's plan. You know, it's so simple to have a happy marriage. It really is. I... I'd, I'd suggest if you're happy, you ought to be working at it. You ought to be working at your marriage. Have a revival in your home tonight. Pursue purity. Pursue gratitude. Pursue a happy marriage. When's the last time y'all went on a date with each other? Go on dates for crying out loud. So we don't have a lot of money, Brother Young. Well, you don't have to have a lot of money. Go to, go to McDonald's. They still have a value menu? <laughs> or just get a cup of coffee and sit and talk. So you don't have money for that, Brother Young. Go for a walk. Go to the cemetery. There's flowers everywhere. Here, honey, I got you some flowers. <laughs> I probably shouldn't do that. Honestly, date each other. Spend time with each other. Fall in love. Pray together. I won't ask you tonight because I wouldn't embarrass you. But how many of you couples never pray with each other? I don't, I don't mean to be hard about it, but you know what? If you're married, you ought to pray together. It'll be a blessing to your marriage. Say, Dave, we've, no, don't make an excuse. You're saved. You're married. You want a happy marriage, don't you? Go on dates and pray together. Even when we're traveling, Bethany and I still do. I, I call her every night before she goes to bed. The two of us pray together. We pray for our children. We pray for Micah Cell. We pray for our revivals. We pray for special needs. We try not to do a lot on Facebook just because it's a time consumer and also because it seems like there's so much garbage in there. You have to just be on guard everywhere you turn. But we do have Facebook. Because we do, sometimes you're reading through Facebook and all of a sudden you see startling news. Oh, my word. If we're not careful, we just kind of mention it. Did you see that? From, did you see? Did you hear about that? Beth and I try to make it a habit now. Let's just stop what we're doing and pray about that. Let's just stop right now and pray together. Daddy, husband, wife, if you guys don't pray together, why don't you tonight start your revival in your home right there and make an altar tonight in this service and determine if you do nothing else, you're going to start praying together. It'll change your marriage. Date each other. Pray together. I'm almost out of time. Date each other. Pray together. Support one another. Enjoy each other. Is it okay if I say this? Flirt with each other for crying out loud. You're married. Flirt. Teenagers, I went in the kitchen one day when I was a boy and caught my mom and dad in the kitchen kissing. And I don't mean one of those little like, goodbye, honey. I mean, I walked in and they were like, mm. and I was like, you know, I walk, I'm going to get a drink. Isn't that what you're supposed to do in the kitchen? I went in to get a drink and I was like, oh, 
okay, just lost my appetite. But I'll never forget that. that. That is one of my childhood memories of my mom and dad acting like they were in love. My daddy said to us kids one day, my dad, he doesn't have an education. He's just a mountain fellow. My dad said to us kids one afternoon, he said, now kids, I want to tell you something. If your mother ever leaves me, I am going with her. <laughs> and I'm 46 years old. I've never forgotten that. They were in love. Flirt with each other. Beth and I are married. We flirt. We wink at each other across rooms. We, you know, we, when people are praying at the table, we always like squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. I love you. Four back. I love you too. I love you more than that. It's just we're flirty. We even you got text today. We flirt text. We do. My kids used to read my text. I stopped that. <laughs> Just send your wife a good flirty text, let them read it. They won't pick your phone up again. <laughs> They'll be like, yuck! Flirting with my wife via text, I discovered something I didn't know about. I discovered something called group texting. <laughs> it was a startling moment in my life, teenagers. My wife sent me a picture of my daughter. They were on a trip. She sent me a picture of my daughter who had bought a new dress and was wearing it. And, and, and I got the picture. And I, was, I, wouldn't even, I just looked, well, she's beautiful. And I know it was from my wife. So I thought, oh, I should flirt it with her. So I voice flirted. Hit the little button at the bottom. Hey, baby doll, it's your man. And so I, I don't know. I said, like, hey, put your helmet on. You're on your way home. I'm going to kiss your brains out. And I mean, I just laid it on the line. I mean, I just laid it on the line. And uh, I mean, I made it good. It was good. And I hit send. That's when I discovered that she had also sent that picture to her mother. <laughs> Startling moment in my life. I immediately prayed and said, Lord, kill my mother-in-law's phone. And apparently texting is faster than my praying. So my mother-in-law got that text and answered it. Which was worse than her getting it. She answered it. It was a new relationship we have. It's really, I'm, I'm careful now about flirt texting, let me tell you. I, you know, I have this goatee. I've not had a goatee in a long time, but. I grew a goatee a year and a half ago, and my wife loved it. She just absolutely loved me with a goatee, so I kept it. She loved it, but my mother-in-law hated it. And I thought to myself, now isn't that a win-win? <laughs> my mother-in-law hates it. My, mom, my wife likes it. This is good. I'm keeping this, baby. And I still, Mom and I, we, we, we don't flirt text anymore. <laughs> but we still get along. Listen, God wants you to be in love. Somebody... Some of you have been married a long time. Don't let your love die. I met a couple several years ago. I'm almost out of time. Been married 76 years. They were in their 90s. And they were flirty. They were. She was on a walker. He couldn't even hardly stand. But she was, she was like, hey, baby doll. And he's like, yeah, honey. I was in their living room to have prayer. The pastor and I were having prayer with them. And she went to the kitchen to get pastor a drink. I shouldn't tell you all this. Well, I'm in the middle of it now. Might as well. She, uh, she walked by her husband. And right in front of me and the pastor, he reached out and patted her. <laughs> She's 90 for crying out loud. And, 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 and she, she went, stop that. And I thought to myself, you know, Lord, if I live that long, I'm going to be just like that. I'm going to get on my walker and I'm going to say, come over here, baby, duh. Give your man a smooch. You know what? We laugh, teenagers, we laugh at that kind of stuff. But aren't you sick and tired of the only time you see a happy, romantic couple, they're a Hollywood idiot? They're living together. Listen, God's plan is the romance to be found in our marriages. That's a happy home. I don't have time to preach it to you. 
but a happy home is a place where we train our children, pray with them, teach them. I, I believe with all of my heart, uh, Southeast Baptist Tabernacle, I believe with all of my heart, dear church, that one of the things that would change our lives is just a simple but genuine, powerful revival in our families. If you families started being more careful about your television and actually took time to make sure you're really training your children, really training them, talking to them, disciplining them biblically and scripturally and gently but firmly, praying together, having a family altar again. Some of your families never pray together. Never. Some of you may not even pray at the table when you sit down to eat the amazing, abundant meals that we get to eat. We need revival in our homes. Do you know there's really two homes God wants us to have? He wants us to have a home right here, right now, that's heaven on earth. I don't know your situation. Maybe stepfather, stepmother, divorced, single parent. No matter your situation tonight, God wants to start where you are and revive your home. You may have to do it alone as a single parent, but by God's grace and God's help, do it well. You, 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 may, you, you may have no support, and it may be hard at times, but God's able to take your situation and give you revival in your home, a happy Christian home. God's able to do that. God wants you to have a home that is heaven on earth. Listen to me, and I'm done. He also wants you to have a home in heaven. He does. He wants you to have a home in heaven. If you died tonight, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? Have you been saved the Bible way? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Has there been a definite time in your life as a sinner that you came to God with an awareness, I'm not a good person who sometimes does bad things. I'm a bad sinner who sometimes does good things. And I can't go to heaven. God, I'm a sinner. And I'm lost. Jesus, you're my only hope. Will you save me? Has there ever been a time in your life that you trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior? God wants you to have a home right here, right now, that's heaven on earth. Takes work, takes effort, takes prayer, but God can help you to have it no matter what your circumstance is tonight. God can help you. But God wants you to have a home in heaven. So I hope you'll have both. Let's stand together.